0: Throughout history, stories have captured our attention. There are stories that spark laughter, stories that bring us to tears, stories that inspire us, and some that lead to fear. But the best stories, the stories that change us, are the ones that teach truth eternal truth well if you have a bible let me encourage you to turn with me to matthew chapter 22. if you don't have a bible don't worry You can follow along with us on the screen. We've got the words on there. But in Matthew 22, we see the second story that I want us to focus on that Jesus told. Beginning in verse 1, this is what it says. Jesus also told them other parables. He said the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a king who prepared a great wedding feast for his son. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to notify those who were invited. But they all refused to come. So he sent other servants to tell them the feast has been prepared, the bulls and fatted cattle have been killed and everything is ready. Come to the banquet. But the guests he had invited ignored them, went their own way. One to his farm, another to his business. Others seized his messengers and insulted them and killed them. The king was furious. He sent out his army to destroy the murderers and burn their town. And he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready and the guests I invited aren't worthy of the honor. Now go out to the street corners and invite everyone you see. So the servants brought in everyone they could find, good and bad alike, and the banquet hall was filled with guests. When the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his aides, Bind his hands and his feet. Throw him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Growing up in a pastor's home and then being a pastor for for 35 years, I've attended a whole lot of weddings. And I can honestly say to you this morning, that nothing is more beautiful than a bride on her wedding day. Amen? Amen? Amen. You better say that, (laughs) man. And I think I can honestly say that no one is more excited than a groom on his wedding day. I mean, since God ordained marriage, weddings have been a part of our life. And I've been to some good weddings and I have been to some not-so-good weddings. When Sherry and I got married, neither of our families had very much money. We were so poor that my wife and I had to have yard sales to raise money so that we could go on a honeymoon. And then when we got back from our honeymoon, we had some money left over, so we bought a chest freezer that we still have in our garage today, 35 years later. So you can imagine... Our families didn't have a lot of money to put into a a reception for us to have. But because we had help from friends who went to our church, we had a pretty good reception. At least we had some meat. We had those wieners that are in the barbecue sauce. You know what I'm talking about? We had those and, and we had some meatballs. We had some meatballs. But apart from the wieners and the barbecue sauce and the meatballs, all we had was some some vegetables with dip that I tend to stay away from, chips that aren't that good, some sweets, and then we had the cake. And so when we came to the reception, there wasn't a lot to keep me there. I kept on looking at my watch. I was ready to leave because we had a suite at the Ramada Inn on I-95 in Waterboro waiting for us. And I was ready to get the honeymoon going. But my wife, she's the social one. And so she was having fun at the reception. She was talking to her friends. and She was talking to the friends of her parents while I was looking at my watch. Because there was nothing there to keep me there. Have you ever been to a reception like that? you go and I'm ready to go. But then I've been to some other receptions where if they would let me, I would pitch a tent and I would camp out. And I would stay there for days. I've been to some receptions where the venue was was amazing. The decorations were were beautiful. There was music and there was dancing and, and that didn't really mean that much to me because I can't dance. It's not that I don't try to dance. I really do. I try to dance. And every time I try to dance, my wife says, stop it. <laughs> I'm not joking. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I mean, I'll try to dance. She says, stop it. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> and so it's not its not the venue. It's not the decorations. It's not the, the dancing and the, the music that gets me to want to stay at the wedding. But the food? <laughs> when there is good food, at a wedding reception? Man, I want to stay. And I'm not talking about sweets. I'm not talking about the wedding cake. My wife sends me back multiple times for wedding cake for her. It's not the wedding cake. It's the meats. The meats that keep me at the wedding reception. Boiled shrimp? Oh, yeah. Bring on the boiled shrimp. Prime rib, medium rare with horseradish sauce. Goodness gracious. Doesn't get any better than that. Chicken wings. Man, I can eat me some chicken wings. And so when you have a reception like that, man, you just want to go and you want to stay and you want to hang out. Because even if you don't like the venue, even if you don't dance very well, even if the decorations don't appeal to you, man, the food, the food will keep you there. And so I'm just telling you, if you invite me to a wedding and all you have is some vegetables and dip, I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be cordial and I'm going to come and I'm going to smile and I'm going to sneak out. But if you had to meet, you're probably going to have to run me off. I'm going to hang out. But you see, this parable is all about a wedding feast that God has prepared for us that we are told is better than any wedding feast that has ever been given by man. Now let me give you a little bit of background. We find out in Matthew chapter 21 that, that Jesus had returned to Jerusalem. And, and Jesus knew the time of his crucifixion had come. He knew that, that this time he was coming to Jerusalem to die. When he entered to Jerusalem, he immediately went to the temple and he cleaned out the temple. I mean, he made a, temp, a, a whip. He, he ran all the money changers out of the temple. I mean, he cleaned house. He healed some people. And and then the Bible says that he went to Bethany. Bethany was a small town outside of Jerusalem, and there he spent the night. The next morning, he got up, he came back to Jerusalem, and he went to the temple. And the Bible says that he began to teach. Well, this time, as he began to teach, the elders, the priests, the religious leaders, confronted Jesus. And so Jesus, as he often did, told them some stories. Told them three stories. He first of all told them a story about a man who who had two sons, and he told the one son, the older son, he said, I want you to go out in the vineyard and work. And the son said, no. But later on he went out in the vineyard and worked anyway. Then he told his other son, the younger son, I want you to go out in the vineyard and work. And the son said, okay, I'll go out in the vineyard and work. But, But he never went. Even though he said he would. And Jesus said, which one of the two sons was obedient? And then Jesus told another story. He told a story about a a landowner that had a vineyard, and he rented this vineyard out to some tenant farmers. And when it came time for the grape harvest to, to be brought in, he sent his servant to collect his share of the profits. But instead of giving the servant his share of the profits, they beat the servant. He sent other servants and they beat them as well, and then they killed some of the servants. Well, the king or the, the vineyard owner, the landowner said, Well, I'm going to send my son. Certainly they will respect my son. And so he sent his son to the tenant farmers. And when the tenant farmers saw that the, the landowner's son was coming, they said, Let's kill him, and then the land will be ours. And they killed the son. And Jesus looking at the religious leaders said how do you think the landowner is going to respond to the tenants? Well the Bible says that that the elders and the priests and the religious leaders they knew that Jesus was talking about them. And so then Jesus began to tell another story. He told the story about the parable of The wedding feast. And I want you to notice how he begins this story. He begins this story by saying the kingdom of heaven is like. Now when you read the parables, you will discover that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, many times. Not every time. But many times when Jesus told parables, he was telling parables about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. And here's what you need to understand about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God. It is a term that was used to describe a present reality and a future hope. At times, Jesus said this. He said, the kingdom of God is already among you. At other times, Jesus would say, the kingdom of heaven is near at hand. In one sense, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, came to earth when Jesus came to earth. And when we give our lives to Jesus, when we accept his gift of grace, we become a part of his kingdom, and we are in the kingdom of God. We are in the kingdom of heaven. But in another sense, Jesus refers to the kingdom of heaven, the the kingdom of God, as a place and a time that has not yet been fully realized. And as Jesus tells this story, that's what he's referring to. And so Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like this great wedding feast that this king throws for his sons. Now, a wedding in Jesus' day was different than they are today. When you would throw a wedding in Jesus' day, it was not like, you went to a ceremony for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, 45 minutes, and then you went to the reception for an hour, a couple of hours. No, when you went to a wedding, it was a multi-day event. Sometimes it would last for an entire week. And this was not just any wedding. This was a wedding feast for the king's son. This was a royal wedding. This was the social event of a lifetime. And so the king sends out invitations. And the people that he sends out invitations to, they refuse to come. And so the king sends his servants out again and tell them, hey, the banquet is ready. The bull and the the fatted cattle have been killed and prepared for the feast. You come. But they didn't come. Some were too busy. Some had other things. And we are told that they they didn't listen to, they rejected, they insulted, and they even killed the servants. The king was furious. He was furious that they had turned down his invitation, and he was furious that they had killed his servants. And so the king sent his army and they destroyed the city and burned it to the ground. And then the king said, those people that I invited, they weren't worthy to come to the banquet in the first place. Now go out and invite everyone you see. And so the servants went out and they began to invite everyone they saw, both good and bad. And the banquet hall was full of people. Well, as the king was walking around talking to the guest, he noticed one person that was there that wasn't wearing the proper clothes. And the king approached him and said, friend, where's your wedding clothes? And the man didn't say a thing. And Jesus said, take this man, bind him hand and foot, and throw him out into the outer darkness where there is weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said, many are called and few are chosen. Now that's the story Jesus told. What was Jesus trying to teach us in this story? Well, I believe there's three important truths that you need to understand to understand what Jesus is trying to reveal to us about his kingdom that is coming. First of all, God's kingdom is like a party. It seems like that there are some Christians today that have this idea that God's kingdom is anything but a party we should even use that term for fear that some may misunderstand us. we see party goers as bad and, and yet here is this picture of heaven as the party of a lifetime listen carefully the Christian life and eternal life is never intended to be stale or boring or solemn The Christian life and eternal life is intended to bring joy and happiness and fun. And this is what this event was all about. That's why Jesus used a wedding feast to describe his coming kingdom. And then he said that as we come to this banquet, the bulls and the fatted calves will be killed. Isaiah told us about this event that Jesus tells us about i want you to listen to what isaiah said in isaiah 25. he said on this mountain the lord almighty will spread a wonderful feast for the people of the world it will be a delicious banquet with clear well-aged wine and choice meat Uh, there he will remove the cloud of gloom the shadow of death that hangs over the earth he will swallow up death forever the sovereign lord will wipe away all tears and to be honest I'm not a wine drinker, so so well-aged wine doesn't appeal to me. But choice meats mentalize. I, I mean, I love that. And God says the kingdom is going to be like this great feast with this well-aged wine and the choice meats. My son Jonathan is somewhat of a food connoisseur. He loves to eat a variety of foods and he's always searching out the restaurants for wherever he goes. And when Sherry and I go somewhere, he always says, you ought to go to this restaurant or this restaurant. And sometimes he hits a home run and other times, man, he strikes out. <laughs> but yesterday, as he was doing a little last minute work on the message that he's preaching this morning, I was doing it for this campus. He called me up and said, Dad, have you ever heard of Wadu beef? I said, Wagyu beef? He said, Wagyu beef. I said, no. He said, well, it's Japanese beef. And I said, is it like Kobe beef? And he said, well, Kobe beef is a type of Wagyu beef. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, oh, Dad, it's the choices of meat. He said, in Japan, they birth these cows, and then they allow them to grow up at a cow spot. He said, he said, they massage them all throughout their life. <laughs> he said, they feed them the best foods. He said, they put on cow spa music so that they live stress-free lives. And I said, until they kill them, right? <laughs> he went, yeah. He said, Wagyu beef is the best beef in the world. And then he said this, he said, Dad, I think for Christmas Eve this year, we ought to get some Wagyu beef. I said, Well, how much is it? He said, I found a deal. (laughs) I said, Well, what kind of deal? He said, Well, for for 11 pounds of Wagyu beef, ribeye, which is what we like, 11 pounds of ribeye, Wagyu beef, it's only (laughs) $1,500. Free shipping. And that settles it. Free shipping? I mean, we got to do this. And, and so, I, just to yank his chain a little bit, I, I texted him a little bit later and said, Son, I thought about this, and I realized y'all were going to be in Orlando on Christmas Eve, but Mom and I ordered some. <laughs> now, now, I got to tell you, when he, he told me about this Wagyu beef, I started researching a little bit. I went on a site and started looking, and here's what I discovered. They, they really do massage it. And it's it's so that the the meat and, and the the fat are marbled perfectly together. And the meat is so tender. I, this is this is what multiple sites say. The meat is so tender that its melting point is so low that it literally melts in your mouth. Now you may not be a beef eater. But i got to tell you, I was reading that and my mouth was watering. I was literally drooling on myself and I probably coveted a little bit. You know, my wife, she sits back and says, I'd love it if, you know, we had someone that could come and just give a massage for 10 minutes before we went to sleep every night. Well, and I don't care about that, but man, if we could have somebody give us Wagyu beef every evening. Go for that. And, and the Bible says that God is going to provide the choicest wines and the choicest meat for us. And you say, Rocky, is that literal or is that figurative? Well, it doesn't matter because it's going to be good. Amen. Here's the thing: here's the thing. If it's literal, it's good. If it's figurative, we know that the reality is better than the picture. Because here's what the Bible says. It says the eye has never seen, the ear has never heard, the heart has never even imagined all the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. In other words, the pictures that are painted in Scripture of the party that we have prepared for us, the pictures pale in comparison to the reality. Man, the kingdom of heaven is going to be a party. Some of you have this idea that, you know, in the kingdom, in heaven, we're going to, you know, walk around in starched robes, and we're going to sing solemn songs. And let me tell you, God's kingdom is so much the opposite of that. It's going to be a big party. And I'm here to tell you right now, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss it. And the tragedy is, there are some of you that have bought into the lie of the enemy that this down here is what we have to look forward to. And God says, no, this has been corrupted. I've got something waiting for you that is beyond your best imagination. The kingdom of heaven is a party. Second truth, everyone is invited. Now notice, the invitation is first given to a certain group, but that group refuses. Now, and it's important for you to see that it's not that they couldn't come, it's that they refused to come. And so the king sends another invitation saying, hey, it's ready. The food's prepared. Come. And this time, they ignored the servants, they insulted the servants, and they killed the servants. Now, Jesus in this story is referring to to the religious leaders the Jews of his day that's who he's referring to when he was speaking of the um, the tenant farmers with the vineyard it makes it clear the Pharisees the religious leaders knew that Jesus was speaking of them these that refused He was speaking of the Jews and the religious leaders that refused who he was. The Bible says in the book of John, Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. It's not just the Jews in Jesus' day who have refused and rejected and who resist God. We do today. Some of you in this room... Are refusing the grace of God you're rejecting the grace of God you're resisting the grace of God and that is a dangerous dangerous thing to do unfortunately the invitation was rejected and unfortunately many times it is rejected today now here's where the story gets ugly they not only rejected they not only insulted they killed the servants and And the king was so ticked off that he sent his army to absolutely destroy and and burn the city to the ground. Now, some people say, well, this is a picture of eternal judgment. No, it's not. No. Jesus is giving the Jews a picture of what is going to happen to them in about 40 years. You see, in about 40 years, actually in 66 A.D., the Jews rebelled against the Romans, and it started a Jewish civil war that went on for several years. Finally, in AD70 thank you. Finally, in AD70, Titus, the Roman general, came into Jerusalem and he burned the city to the ground, including the temple. During his assault, listen, during his assault, one million Jews died. One million. In Matthew 24, when Jesus is talking to his disciples and some of the other gospels where he's talking about the temple being destroyed, they say, when are these things going to happen? And you read some of that. You know, some of us think that all of that is talking about events somewhere in the future, but some of it is referring to this event that occurred in A.D. 70. By the way, do you know that when this happened in in A.D. 70, it is the last time that Israel existed as a political identity until 1948? Because they rejected the Messiah, God's judgment came upon them. Well, after that, the king said to his servants, I want you to go out and I want you to invite everybody I want you to go out into the street and whoever you find, invite them to the banquet. And so they went out and the Bible says they invited the good and the bad. No one was left out. Everyone was invited. Listen, God's invitation to his party is not just for a certain race. It's not for a certain group. It's not just for the religious or for the good. It is for everyone. You have been invited. No matter who you are now if you're already a follower of Jesus what this part of the story says to you is you're to be a servant going out into the streets inviting everybody you can your job is not to try to determine who is going to respond and come your job is to give the invitation to everyone if you're a servant that's your job if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Christ You are the one that the invitation is given to. God has given you this morning, and it's probably not the first time, an invitation to be a part of His family and come to His party that He is going to give. But you have to accept the invitation. You have to receive the invitation. But the fact is we're all invited. Every one of us. So God's kingdom is a party. Everyone is invited. But there's a truth and and this is where it gets a little confusing. There's a dress code. You see if we're going to go to the party, there's a dress code. So the servants go out, they invite everyone and everything's fine until the king's walking around mingling with his guests and he notices one man who isn't properly dressed. And he says, friend. He calls him friend. Friend, where are your wedding clothes and the man says nothing and the king orders his servants to bind his hands and feet cast him out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth Now, now you're probably saying well that's cruel (laughs) <laughs> here's the king, he's inviting everybody, the rich, the poor, the everybody. I mean, some of these people, they don't have the money to go out and buy fancy clothes for this wedding celebration. Why would God do that, invite them, and then say, you're not properly dressed, you can't come? Well, you're misunderstanding. You see, in Jesus' day, when someone wealthy got married or a king got married, at the door, you received a robe. They provided the wedding clothes for you. And so it wasn't, this is important, it wasn't that this man didn't have access to the proper clothes, it's that this man refused to be robed in the king's robe. Verse 12, when it says, Why are you without The word without, literally in the Greek, means a predetermined decision. In other words, the man had determined at the door, I'm not going to choose the king's robe. I'm going in with my own clothes. He decided, I'm going to go before the king on my own. That's self-righteousness, by the way. I'm good enough to stand before the king with the things that I've done in my life. I've done enough good to warrant the king letting me into the party. And let me tell you that is foolish. In the book of Isaiah chapter 61 it says this, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. He has dressed me in salvation he has draped me in righteousness you see God provides the righteous robe we need to go to the party now why do we need it well a couple of chapters later Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 64 he says we're all infected we're impure with sin when we display our righteous deeds they're nothing but filthy rags and so Isaiah the prophet said Our righteous deeds, the clothes that we wear to try to impress the king, they are so filled with sin that they're like dirty, filthy rags. But the king has provided a robe of righteousness for us to wear. Aren't you glad? Here's here's what it says in the book of 2 Corinthians. That Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that you and I may become the righteousness of God. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, that work took our sin off of us, and then He took His righteousness, His perfect righteousness, and He placed it upon us. He took our sin, and He gave us His righteousness. And so at the gate of the entrance to the wedding feast, there was this robe. The king has this prepared for you. And the man said, I don't need the king's robe. I'll go in on my own. And he did. And he was thrown out. Because his righteousness was not good enough to be in the presence of the king. And then Jesus ended with this. Many are called, but few are chosen. The truth of the matter is all are called. That's what the story says, right? Go out into the streets and tell everyone invite everyone everyone is called, but few are chosen what does that mean does that mean that in the end God randomly goes around and says I'm going to take this one and this one and this one but not this one this one this one no it's not saying that God extends the invitation to everyone he offers the clothes to everyone but the ones that are chosen in the end and get to stay are the ones who have received the robe of righteousness through Jesus So what about you? Here's what I know. I don't have to know you to know in a group this size, there are some of you that in your mind what you're saying is, I'm good enough. My good outweighs my bad. I've done, Rocky, you don't know me. I'm not as bad as most people. I'm going to be okay. And I'm here to tell you, no, you're not. Your best efforts are but filthy rags. If they were better than that, Jesus didn't need to die. He died so that you could be clothed in his righteousness. And to refuse him and reject him is to spurn the grace of God and the mercy of God. That's a dangerous thing. Have you accepted Jesus? Have you experienced his grace? Has his robe of righteousness changed your life? I want you to bow your head I want you to close your eyes with your head bowed and with your eyes closed if you're here today and you're saying Rocky I've I've never I've never come to Jesus and asked him to give me his righteousness I've never trusted him to save me I've never asked him to, to make me new I've never confessed my sin to him but today I want to do that if that's where you're at then I want to encourage you this morning to humble yourself before God and pray this prayer to Him. It's not saying the words. It's meaning the words as you say them to God. Dear God, I come to you this morning acknowledging my sin. I've rebelled against you. I've lived a self-centered life. I've chosen my way rather than your way. I've lived as if I were god of my life. I'm sorry. I'm tired of living that way. Jesus, I believe you came to this earth. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the grave. So that I could be forgiven. So that I could be made new. And Today, I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Come into my heart. Come into my life. Make me new. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. Thank you for saving me.